Hi everyone, this is your host, Julia Glotz. Welcome back to eFundamentals Digital Shelfcast, where we discuss how growth-driven CPGs can win in e-commerce at speed and scale. Every episode, I'm speaking with industry experts about the latest trends and challenges on the digital shelf and how you can accelerate your growth online. Make sure you subscribe today so you don't miss out on any of our inside-packed episodes. Thanks for spending time with me today. Let's jump straight in. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Digital Shelfcast. It's good to have you with us. Making predictions is famously risky business, but we are being brave today and embracing that risk because we're going to get our crystal ball out and make some predictions, specifically predictions for what's next in e-commerce. One thing is clear, we are shopping online more than we've ever done. And the shift to e-commerce is continuing, and it means brands need to have a plan for how to connect with and retain customers in the omni-channel. That's easier said than done. Rising acquisition costs, constantly changing shopper demands, and increased privacy regulations are already rewriting the rules for the next generation of e-commerce. So how are these shifts set to play out in 2022? Which of last year's e-commerce trends will continue to grow in importance? Which ones will fade? And how can brands respond and stay competitive? To help us answer these questions, we're joined by Dean McElwee, Director of International E-Commerce Strategy, Global Tools and Storage at Stanley Black & Decker. Dean is an e-commerce and sales leader with over 17 years experience in retail consulting and sales leadership for blue chip multinational organizations. In fact, Dean moved into his current role from his former position as integrated commercial lead at Kellogg's nearly a year ago. In other words, he is the perfect guest to help us gaze into that crystal ball and predict what's in store for e-commerce in 2022. Dean, welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us today. Hi, Julia. Thanks for having me on the show. Now, we always like to start off by getting a sense of our guests' personal online shopping habits. Can you tell us about the last item you bought online and why you bought it? Well, Julia, it's it's actually an amusing story. We recently got a little cat and this little boy has been running around. He's still a little kitten and he's been running around the house and he's been jumping on a leather recliner. <laughs> so, uh, you can imagine my disgust at this. So his little nails have been making little holes in the leather oh, recliner. God. So the last thing I bought was a stretch cover on Amazon. So Amazon, <laughs> as we know, is the best place to find virtually anything. So. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't think of a better place to go and find a stretch cover to put over the recliner to hopefully save this leather recliner from this kitten who is running around the house at the moment. Oh, God, I love that. Has it worked? Has it made a difference? Is your recliner it, OK? It hasn't arrived yet, so the, it, it's due to arrive tomorrow. I'm sure I'll see the Amazon truck during the course of tomorrow morning, which I'm, I'll be very glad about. I can imagine rapid delivery has never been more important. Um, exactly. 
But at the beginning of this year, you published your personal e-commerce predictions on LinkedIn, outlining the key trends and areas that you think brands will need to pay attention to this year. We're going to talk a lot about your predictions, but before we dive into them, I'd love to take a step back and reflect briefly on how you've experienced the disruption of the last couple of years in your recent roles. What are some of the biggest shifts in the consumer goods industry that you've seen happen across Europe and globally over the past 12 months? Yeah, Julia, it's a, it's a very good question. I think that the three most important ones for me have been, one is the speed of acceleration amongst predominantly older demographics. I think when we've looked at e-commerce in, in the years prior to sort of 2019, we always saw it was younger wealthy, time-poor people who, who were using e-commerce. I think with, with the, the pandemic, what you saw is an acceleration across all, all demographics, but more importantly, amongst the older demographics, who are probably a bit shy of using online shopping, who, because of necessity, had to, had to move on to online shopping. So I think that speed of acceleration was, was quite surprising and quite dramatic. The second one, which I found very interesting, was the speed of industry adoption in verticals other than grocery. Grocery has been highly penetrated in e-commerce for a while now and i think we all sort of know that you can do your online grocery shopping but moving industries as i have it's it's really been quite surprising for me to see how quickly other verticals um, other than the traditional ones have, have really accelerated the change in behavior long term in certain categories like tools has been quite dramatic and it's remained post-pandemic um, the level of penetration is still there and it still continues to increase so that for us is, is really quite an interesting one to see that that behavior is now embedded and it's not reverting to prior. I think that's so interesting and I'm really pleased that you drew out the, the sort of comparison or contrast between grocery and some other verticals. How have these shifts shaped your vision for what you want to do around e-commerce at SBD now? So I think it's shaped it in a number of different ways. I think what, what we are seeing is that long-term behavior means that we have to adopt our, adapt our teams and adapt them to the way we go to market. So we are constantly reviewing our structure and our support for our retailers. Secondly, it's ensure that we have a clear vision depending on the end user. So we have two end users, distinct end users in a Stanley Black & Decker world. We have the DIY user, who's someone like myself, who doesn't make money from their tools, uses it for putting up pictures at home, repairing um, little items. And really our vision there is about educating, informing and inspiring people to do more DIY tasks. For our professional customers, those who make money from their tools, we're looking really to educate, inform and demonstrate in that environment because making a mistake can be critical in, in those areas. So really it's helped us to look at that and see how we can adjust our content, our focus from a marketplace point of view. We have both B2B and B2C marketplaces that we're on. And really it's helped us to, to galvanize what those two areas are going to do. 
And you mentioned changes to structure. So I can't resist a follow-up question because we've been talking to so many guests from all across the CPG industry about some of the structural changes that they've made to their teams, looking at workflows as well in order to help them uh, respond to that shift to e-commerce. Can you just give us a flavor of what sorts of structural changes you have made within your teams or are considering making this year? Yeah, it's 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 a fantastic question. So I think what we have done at SBD versus probably two, three years ago is we've got a dramatically beefed up content structure. Content is king on the internet and we have a complete content structure. We have videographers, we have photographers, so we can produce the content we need for our customers and for our own media. I think the second one that we've done is we've focused on how to accelerate analytics. We've created a center of excellence for analytics and we have a team of data scientists in there so that they can help us accelerate what we're doing from an analytical point of view. And then I think thirdly in the markets, we're looking at how closely we can bring our e-commerce business to the main part of the business. I think. As you look at various businesses, some businesses adopt a sidecar approach where there's this e-commerce team and it's probably out to the side and it's not really integrated with the main part of the accounts. And I think what you will see is as penetration increases, you'll need to move from a sidecar approach almost to an embedded approach, embedding your e-commerce people in teams directly interacting with customers every day alongside your sales directors and your national account managers. So how can we get those teams working as a cross-functional team for that customer? Fantastic. I'm so pleased I asked you about that. Some some great insight there behind the scenes. But let's talk about your key e-commerce predictions for 2022. Could you give our listeners a quick rundown of your main predictions and why you believe they are important areas for brands to pay attention to? So there were a couple, and I think it's really a a summation of what's happened over the last couple of years. So the first is quick commerce. Quick commerce is, um, as we all know, this need to get things in under 15 minutes. Um, There was an explosion last year of fundraising for quick commerce companies. The the amount of money that was raised by these companies was eye-watering for me. It was certainly in the hundreds of millions, in some cases, billions of dollars. And I think what we're going to see is as people go back and the behavior starts to revert somewhat a bit, I think we're going to see a rapid consolidation of that area. And the reality of why that's going to happen is because that type of model requires a huge amount of data science as as a key driver of it to, to get you those products quickly, to get that driver through, through the areas of the cities in which they operate. And that talent is really, really quite expensive to maintain and the tech technology to invest to make that work is really quite expensive. So I think what you're going to see is you're going to see a consolidation in that area. So the likes of the Glover a Delivery Hero, your, the likes of your Deliveroo's will get into that. And I think what you're also going to see is an interesting conundrum specifically for the grocery retailers because do they get into this under 15 minute delivery space? They've always focused on next day delivery or same day delivery, sort of three, four hours out, but what will they do? So I think you're going to see a lot of action in that space too, with quite a bit of consolidation. 
The second one is retail media explosion. And, and the reason why this one's going to, to happen is this huge growth in e-commerce has resulted in cost headwinds for manufacturers and retailers. So what's going to happen is retailers with the cost headwinds coming from e-commerce and setting up their online platforms will look to retail media to cover that gap. Walmart recently released their results and they pulled out the Walmart retail media section called Walmart Connect and they recorded $2.1 billion in retail media revenue. And that's very, very high margin revenue for a retailer. So I think you're going to see a lot more of that. And that's going to bring a whole lot of challenges for manufacturers and retailers alike in their relationships. The third one really I focused on was analytics. As I think the economies have increased inflation, increased costs, being laser focused and operating really with surgical precision is going to need to become a real priority for a lot of those companies. The fourth one is live streaming and social commerce. I think it's we've sort of touched on it for a couple of years, really, um, coming out of China, this focus on live streaming and social commerce. And I think tw- sort of 2022 for, for me will be the year that this format starts to mature and people start learn learning how best to activate it. And that's really because it's a great informative format and it's relevant for young younger shoppers and it touches on to some of the social media trends, things like TikTok and TikTok made me buy it as a hashtag. If you've ever had a look at that one, it's it's quite incredible the amount of things that people do want to do on social commerce and live streaming. Fantastic. That's such a fascinating list of trends. And we're going to dive into each of these in a little bit more detail in a second. But as you said right at the start, many of these trends are continuations of trends that we were already seeing in 2021 to some extent. What do you think will be the biggest differences between e-commerce in 2021 and e-commerce in 2022? Very good question, Julia. I think there's several E-commerce for the last two years has been an absolute feast. Everything's been growing. It's been a huge, huge acceleration area for a lot of companies. As things revert to hopefully a, a better sense of normal for us all, I think what you're going to see is a need to focus on the real nuts and bolts of doing e-commerce and doing it really successfully. And I think that's that's really going back to a foundational level, being brilliant at the basics, being brilliant at your digital shelf execution. So I think that's the, the, the first big change that I think we're going to see. I think we're all going to be pressured for growth this year. I think we, we've seen a lot of e-commerce field growth. So how do we get the growth in a 22 without some of the tailwinds that we had and ensure that we do that successfully, cost-effectively, and profitably. I think uh, that, that'll be a huge focus for us all in, in 22. And then I think that the last one is, how do we take the breath that we're seeing now to recalibrate our businesses for future growth? Fantastic. Now let's dive into some of the trends that you pulled out in a bit more detail. And I'm going to start you off on quick commerce. Um, I know this is something that you are absolutely fascinated by. You you like to discuss some of the latest funding developments um, on LinkedIn as well. And as you say, some of the funds going into that sector are absolutely mind boggling. 
What do you think the implications are for brands and retailers going forward? You touched on that a little bit and you're saying that you particularly think grocery retailers are going to have some quite tough decisions around that sector in, in 2022. But from a brand perspective, what do brands need to get right to stand a chance of winning on these platforms? Very good question. You know, I look at these uh, ones and as, as you say, I'm very interested in them and very interested in how they've grown. I think one of the fascinating things for me from a brand point of view, from a manufacturer point of view, is you will get opportunities to invest for demand at a number of different levels. We'll all invest on, let's say, Tesco and Tesco media opportunities through Dunhumby, etc., And then you're going to get an additional opportunity to invest, which is on the platform. So is it Deliveroo? Is it Just Eats? Is it Glovo? Is it any one of these quick commerce platforms? So where do you spend your money to drive the demand to your product? And how do you do that in the most effective way? And that really is is going to be a big thing for, for a lot of brands. It's going to be also be a big thing because you see this huge retail media explosion where retailers want this extra money and there's going to be this decision that manufacturers are going to have to make. Do I spend it on the platform? Do I spend it with Tesco? Where's the best spend relative to the return I can get? And I think what that means is you're going to see brands having to be a lot more choiceful demand a lot more analytical rigor from the platforms themselves and from the retailers as to how are these campaigns that they're doing performing and what are they they going to deliver. And then I think you're going to see quite a difference in how we choose activation plans. So is a quick commerce type platform really about an impulse type shop? So is it is it that little convenience store shop? And what do I activate on there? And which products do I activate? I think those are going to be some of the questions that brands are going to need to have to get right this year to stand a chance. How important do you think testing and learning is in, in that kind of context? Because as you say, there are so many operators it's really difficult to pick winners at this stage. The market is still consolidating um, at speed. How do you, what do you think would be a good approach for brands to test and learn in a way that gives them the learnings they need, but also doesn't put um, funds at risk with, you know, risking terrible ROI? Good question. I think for me, a couple of, a couple of words of advice here, really. Don't commit to a full year plan. Mm. Never commit commit to a full year plan. Things change so quickly and the retailers themselves change so quickly. So work on shorter term horizons and then try and understand the shopper on each of these platforms, what they're doing, and then test and learn according to those shoppers. I can't, I can't, uh, I can't emphasize enough to teams that testing and learning is one of the most important things you should do. You know, we, we are running at any one time at the moment about two to 300 tests with Amazon on our products on the AB testing on some of the content with them um, to really make sure that we get the right content for the right products. And I think the same goes for platforms. How do you make sure you're constantly testing and learning with a hypothesis as to what that end consumer is doing and what you want them to do? And then make sure you record those and, and, and keep on refining them over time. Hey, while we're taking a quick break, Chloe from eFundamentals has got something we wanted to tell you. Here's a question for you. 
Are you drowning in data about your e-commerce performance, but not sure what to do with it? Do you really know what's impacting your online sales growth across major retailers? If you've answered yes, you need to check out eFundamentals right now. They provide you with all the digital shelf analytics you need to achieve e-commerce success at speed and scale. eFundamentals takes everything that is fundamentally important to driving e-commerce performance and displays it in one easy-to-use platform that breaks down the key performance areas that help you and your team stay totally focused. Combined with industry-leading human insights from experienced CPGs, our customer success team get you up and running quickly with no setup costs and act as your partner to unlock repeatable growth year after year. Plus, it gives you a full category view so you can benchmark your category performance across retailers and see immediately when your competitors make a move, empowering your frontline teams to act with a level of category intelligence no other platform can offer. It's no surprise, clients see an average ROI of 12 times using their service. After all, eFundamentals was built by experienced CPGs who know exactly what's needed to drive performance today. Head to eFundamentals.com slash podcast today and see it in action for yourself. Trust me, you need eFundamentals. I'm also really interested in your views on how you think these operators are going to differentiate moving forward, because so much of that rapid delivery story until now has been about ever faster delivery speeds. First, it was half an hour or an hour even, half an hour, then, you know, 20 minutes, 15 minutes. Now we're talking about 10 minutes. But, you know, there are limits to this. At some point, there is still going to be a delivery time somewhere. And... That, that story around offering ever faster delivery times is going to come to a natural stop. Once we've reached that, how do these operators differentiate, do you think? Yeah, I, I've been amazed. It was two hours, it was one hour, and as you say, it's just got lower and lower. And, and um, when do we get to the stage? You know, the, the, I'll probably say five minutes is not possible and somebody will prove me wrong. Um, so... I think it's 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 a good question, and that's that's why I think there's going to be so much consolidation. Because if all you're doing is competing against somebody else offering 10-minute delivery, and and as you rightly say, I think there's a diminishing returns and getting quicker. Where does the value come from? And I think for me, this is why I believe that the quick commerce area has to expand from primarily a grocery and delivery because there are lots of things that we need quickly, mm. not just grocery. It may be that I need um, some paracetamol or some medicine very quickly. You know, if, if something's happened at home and I need something for, for my child because they've cut themselves and I want that very quickly, how can I get that from the local pharmacy? And I think that's where I think this model needs to move and adjust. And I think that will be the value proposition change where it becomes about quick everything as opposed to quick grocery. I think there are lots of things that can be done very quickly and that will allow the ones who take that approach of seeing this as quick everything to go beyond just the normal grocery space and then differentiate themselves. And then I think the other aspect that they can differentiate themselves is how accessible they are to the brands that choose to work with them. So from that point of view, how can brands choose what to activate on those platforms and what analytics 
can they get back from those platforms to make the right decisions? Because certainly if lots of people are doing this, I will choose those who give me the best activation and the best analytics so I can determine the right ROI. So I think there's a consumer angle to this, which is making sure the consumer gets the right offer. And I believe that's everything. And then certainly from a manufacturer point of view, making sure that they can see the returns on their investments with really great analytics and then being able to activate with shoppers in the right way. It's just such a fascinating area of the market at the moment. I feel like I could quiz you at least for another hour just on that. But I want to move you on to uh, that retail media explosion, which is just as fascinating. And as you said, it's high margin for retailers. Retailers are putting a lot of energy into building up their, their retail media offerings. Again, could you perhaps spell out the three key things that brands must pay attention to um, as that space develops? Sure. I think brands are faced with a couple of different choices here. And there's really an evolution in the market. If you work inside a brand organization, you sort of have the marketing team on one side and the sales team on the other side. And really that retail media is seen, well, it's an extension of the sales function. It's Tesco wanting more money. the retail people in the business, you handle this. And I think really that's that's going to now have to change with retailers having the media reach that they do. I think the ability for leading CPG companies to harmonize that media plan across above the line, below the line, all these different touch points is really going to be what separates the great ones from the good ones, because there's just so many different touch points and you almost need to be agnostic of where it's coming from, whether it's retailers or the sort of traditional media space through to the digital media space, you've got to be agnostic of that and really focus on the end consumer and how do how do I access them? So I think that that's really the first one for me, how to harmonize your total media plan across all these different touch points, agnostic of of origin. The second is analytics and ROI. With so many options and so many possibilities, you're going to need to be very clear on the analytics you get from these retailers and every single retailer will have a different way of doing them. So I think making sure that you understand each and every single one is hugely important and the ROI out of those, of course, is, is really key. And then the last one is budget allocations. And this is going to challenge businesses because marketing's had their budget, sales has had their budget. And how do you make sure that you are now allocating against activating a shopper? And I I make it sound like it's easy. It's not um, because there's there's a lot of history in the way businesses operate. And, you know, you've always done this and done this. And I think how how to move that decision making in the business to focus on the end consumer is really going to be a hard grind for a lot of manufacturers. And the point that you raised about analytics, I think, is so important. And of course, we are the digital shelf cast, so we love talking about analytics. But I think that point around just being really, really clear about your KPIs and what you're looking for in those analytics that you're getting from retailers. Are there any particular metrics? that you always encourage your teams to look out for when they're looking at ROI around retail media? Anything that teams can be in danger of neglecting, perhaps? 
I think there are a couple. One, one is firstly, have a very clear idea on the digital shelf, certainly of your share of search. Share of search is a critical, critical capability that you need to understand that you need to have a very clear idea of share of search and then more importantly, how to action share of search changes. So share of search is one, you know, I always say to teams, if you want to do that one, do that one first and have something to contextualize your share of search to. So share of search is great as a metric, but can you compare it to your market share within that market or on that platform? So if my share of search is 30%, but my market share is 40%, um, on that platform, I'm probably in danger of losing visibility for consumers and shoppers, and I'd want to avoid that. So share of search in conjunction with market share is certainly a foundational one for me. Then I think the, the other one particularly prevalent in the omni-channel world is what is my online market share and how does it compare to my offline market share? Because the activation is different on a digital shelf to a physical store, I can have differing market shares and making sure that my digital shelf share or market share is really, really strong and even ahead of my offline market share is absolutely critical because with online growing so quickly, if I have a poor market share online, that'll translate to overall market share loss in time. And we've touched on analytics um, and data at, at various points um, of our discussion, but it's just such an important point to make, isn't it? And I, I saw a LinkedIn post that, that you put out there where, again, you just really hammered home the importance of, um, of analytics for e-commerce teams. And you wrote, the businesses that can master analytics will be best placed to lead in the market, mainly because they will be able to operate with surgical precision working on what matters. What interests me about that comment is the fact that in many ways we are still having that discussion and we are still having to make the case that, no, this is really, really important. This is foundational. Why do you think many brands are still finding it difficult to put this into practice? Um, you know, I, I've often wrestled with this and, and you know, we're, we're still trying to get it right. I don't think you ever get this one absolutely right. So I think it's an ever-evolving space and I, but I think you know I'll just touch on a couple of the key drivers and why I think it it is so hard to get it right. I think the first is there's an explosion of data sources and measurements in a couple of different areas. So you've got so much data from an e-commerce and digital world. So how do you make sure you have the right data sources? and tie them to the right outcomes and, and data decisions. You know, we, we talk a lot in our business with the teams about how do I make sure I understand and contextualize performance, for example. So do I understand the traffic going into Amazon and then our performance on Amazon so I can contextualize that and make sure I'm making the right calls. But there are all these data sources that you have. You've got digital shelf tools, you have sort of traffic data, you have Google ads, you've just got so many data sources. I think the second one is the technology to be able to orchestrate these. I think digital shelf tools are just one of the data sources we use. So we, we look a lot, certainly from our business perspective, about how can we use technology to orchestrate these different data sources in one 
data lake and be able to use them from that point. The third one is the capabilities of your teams. I think it's it's very difficult in the business to make sure you've got the right capabilities and keep on training people to use all this data. And data isn't only about having the data, it's about driving actionable insights out of that data. We can all tell each other about the interesting things that we learn when we, we see all this data, but what can I change on Monday morning? You know, there's this, I, I have this analytics test, which is called the Monday morning test. What is What are the two or three things I'm going to do differently on Monday morning with that insight or analytics you've given me? I think that's fascinating. And I love the idea of the Monday morning test. As someone who, uh, in a previous role, spent quite a lot of time looking at content analytics, um, I feel like that p- focus on what exactly you can actually change on a Monday morning mm. um, is, is absolutely key. But you also talked about live streaming and social commerce. And that's such a fascinating and quite fast evolving part of the market now. Again, lots of opportunities for brands to get involved, lots of opportunities for brands to also waste some money on things that don't drive good results. What are the good opportunities or the best opportunities here and which shopper segments do you think that kind of commerce resonates with most? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I, you know, my, my perspective on live streaming is that it's it's taken off in markets with younger demographics and the likes of TikTok and influencers has certainly, certainly backed that up. So does tend to to favor a younger demographic. The other reason why I think it's going to be so much more important this year is so often we want more information and we want it to be able to contextualize and um, get into the detail of certain products. So if you take a product category like tools, which we're in, it isn't breakfast cereal like my previous category. So once I come to that PDP, that product detail page, I can read a bit of information, but do I understand what that product does, how to use it, what the, what the benefits are? There's quite a lot more information I need. And, and certainly in categories like ours, where there is a much longer decision cycle to, to deciding what you want to do, I think live streaming and social commerce is perfect for that because you can have two-way interaction with somebody and you can ask questions and you can get the feedback you need rather than just reading a PDP. So I think the the need to do it is definitely there. There's definitely a strong drive to it. And I think it's, it's, however, more important for certain categories than others. So I think beauty is is Mm. a great category for live streaming. I think certainly not for me, my makeup choice isn't that great. Um, And perhaps I should use more moisturizer, at least my (laughs) wife tells me I should. But I think that, you know, the the categories like beauty, where I think there's there's a huge opportunity, tools, electronics, I think there's a lot more information that consumers want and need. And I think that, you know, that, that format is quite like adds quite a lot of value it's quite informative it's quite engaging and I think uh, making sure that you test that measure that is really something that you should do and uh, you know we've uh, had, had a couple of bits of success and we're trialing it in various areas we did some in France last year with a, a big retailer called Leroy Malone and we've done it in Korea with Naver 
and we're seeing some good results there. And I think it's ready for us. It's about how do I understand how to drive that format? Is it just once it comes on, I, I, I make money? Or do I need to seed it up front? So what we've learned very quickly is we needed to seed that upfront with our target market. So we'll go on our social pages and we will say, we're going live in you know, two days, three days, six hours to try and get that, you know, people anticipating that they need to be ready to come on and, and have those conversations. So I think, yeah, test and learn on that one, but I think it's definitely going to be a lot, lot bigger. Absolutely fascinating. Now, we have talked a lot about what you predict will happen in e-commerce in 2022. I wonder what you think won't happen. Are there any trends or is there industry buzz around areas that you think will prove to be overhyped or overrated? Is, is this the question where I get it completely wrong and, <laughs> and, and, and it catches me out at the end of the year? Um, I think uh, two for me. I think voice commerce we've all talked about for so mm. long and we all believe that Alexa is going to be the next ordering um, platform for us. Yeah, certainly the numbers that I've seen show that that's less than 2% of orders are made that way. People want to interact and they want more information even on a grocery item list. So I think voice commerce I think is, is quite overhyped. I think we, we need to be very clear on what the use case is there before it grows. Um, the second one, and this is this is controversial, I'm going to step out of my comfort zone a bit here, and that's the metaverse and Web 3.0. Oh, I'm interested, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I've heard so much about that, and, you know, I'm, I'm following it with interest, and I think it's it's quite interesting when you see all the brands investing in it. But what exactly does it mean for us? How do we drive demand in it? How do we drive sales in it? How do we how do we get a return from it? It's great to say I've got I'm in the metaverse. I have a store, okay. Um, but if I've spent a million dollars to get there and I haven't got a return or I can't make a sale, well, what what is it? What does it mean for me? And I think you know that that one for me. I think uh, the jury's out for me as to how do I quantify and what exactly does it mean for us? It's going to generate tons of buzz, but what does it mean for selling items is, is really the, the thing for me. I think it'll be very interesting to see in a year's time to have another conversation mm. like this to see whether, yes, have you gone headfirst into the metaverse or is this something that's generating a, a lot of buzz in the industry but is, is perhaps not generating sales? Fascinating one to watch. Mm. Um, now, before we close out, I'd love to just know a little bit about your ambitions and goals for SBD in 2022. It's clearly not going big in the metaverse based on, on your previous answer, <laughs> but what are your top aspirations around digital commerce and data-driven marketing this year? Yeah, I think what, what we've seen is we've seen a fantastic growth over the last two years. And it's really how do we bed that down and make sure we've got our foundation solid so we can kick on and grow some more. We, we think that there's still a huge upside in our industries. We've got these two distinct customer groups, the DIY customers. So how can we make sure we give them the right content that they need? And they are a lot more content hungry. So our focus is really make sure we get our DIY customers better down. We're delivering the right content and we're pushing them through the funnel. Now, as I said earlier, some categories have a longer decision process Ours is definitely one of them. You can think of buying a car as another one where you, you do a lot of research before you go and buy a car. So, 
you know, understanding how to drive that full funnel marketing digitally is, is really one of our big focuses there. From our professional side of our business, which is these tradesmen and the people who make money from their tools. And that extends right from the person coming to the sort of top end of the market where the large industrial companies operate. For us, really, it's there is about delivering a differentiated set of content to those people and a differentiated consumer and end user experience for those people. So that's really our focus. How do we differentiate the experience between these two groups and how do we deliver sufficient content to them that drives sort of full funnel marketing and full funnel activation and ends up in sales? I think that's the big thing is how do we get more sales out of what we're doing? Brilliant. Now, we like to finish our episodes by asking our guests to give our listeners one essential piece of advice on their area of expertise. And we call this our hashtag 20 seconds smart. Dean, what would be your one essential piece of advice for how to thrive in e-commerce in 2022? Start every day assuming you have something to learn. I probably spend the first half an hour of my morning reading up on what's going on, keeping up to date with the latest trends. This industry of digital and e-commerce evolves so quickly that if you don't keep learning and keeping humble about what you do and don't know, reaching out to others to find out more advice, you will probably fall back a bit. So really try and just keep always learning and keep humble about what you do and don't know because there's so much there's so much to learn and there's so many great people out there that you can learn a huge amount from. Fantastic. What a great way to end this episode. Dean, thank you so much for coming on the show and thank you for a great conversation. Thank you for having me. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Digital Shelfcast from eFundamentals. We hope you enjoyed the discussion and got some useful tips for how to navigate your brand's success on the digital shelf. If you're facing a particular challenge online, or you want to learn more about how to leverage digital shelf analytics to drive e-commerce growth at speed and scale, then why not book a free consultation with the eFundamentals team? Simply visit www.efundamentals.com forward slash podcast and book your free consultation. You'll also find the link in the show notes. If you enjoyed the show, we'd also appreciate it if you could give us a rating and leave a review. Thanks again for listening. See you next time.